Let's get ready to study God's Word. Greetings to one and all. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and it's time for another devotional study. Please be sure to visit us at biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find links to our previous episodes and various Bible study resources. Let's have a word of prayer before we get into our study for today. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your goodness to us, for your watch, care, and protection. We invite your presence to be with us. We ask for your Holy Spirit and wisdom and understanding as we enter into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's study is entitled, Judgment Must Begin at the House of God. And our passage for this study comes to us from 1 Peter 4, 17. And it says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? 1 Peter 4, 17. We have a few podcasts on judgment, judging versus condemnation, and a few other related topics of that sort. It's important to point out that the, in the Bible, judgment, the term judgment, is used to cover many aspects of what we would consider to be a legal system. Right? So, when you look at a passage that discusses judgment, you have to see whether it is discussing the evaluation the analysis of the of the case in question, or if it's dealing with the execution phase. Okay? So when you see the word judgment, we sometimes think that this means the execution phase. Uh, but let's take, for instance, a, a story in Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 5, it's the story where Belshazzar, grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, is eating and drinking in the palace out of the vessels of God, and a hand, part of a man's hand, shows up and writes, and there's some perplexity as to what it means, and eventually Daniel is obtained, and Daniel interprets the writing. And when Daniel interprets that writing, he basically says, here is the judgment that has been rendered. Your kingdom has been weighed, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. That's a judgment. But it's not execution of judgment. It just so happens that in Belshazzar's case, execution of judgment came right away. It's the same, that same night is how Daniel puts it. We find in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 6, 
we see that God renders a verdict. He provides an assessment upon the whole earth. He says, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is flesh. And man at that point is given 120 years. Now, obviously, because there's a timeline, the there's an obvious separation between the verdict and the execution. But even in that story, after the animals enter the ark, after Noah builds the ark and the animals enter the ark, there comes a day where God says, it's time for you to go into the ark. Noah goes into the ark. The Lord shuts the door. And for seven days, everyone else is fine. Okay? But the truth of the matter is, once the door was closed, they were not fine anymore. Execution of justice, or execution of judgment, the execution phase of the judgment, took place at that point, after the seven days. Okay? When the rain began to fall upon the earth. When Jesus is headed to Jerusalem in his last week, what we now refer to as the Passion Week, he points out that Jerusalem, that he has always wanted to help, that he's always wanted to gather together like a hen would gather her chicks. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thy house is left unto you desolate. Nothing major would happen to them until A.D. 70. It would be almost a full generation between when he uttered those words and when they were they came to pass. So throughout the Bible, the pronouncement of justice or judgment and the execution of justice or judgment is not always simultaneous. There are places where it is, but there are places where there is a gap in time. Peter makes reference to the fact that judgment must begin at the house of God. And again, that word judgment is used, you can either interpret it as execution of judgment, or you can, ex or you can interpret it as pronouncement of judgment or assessment for judgment. All, right, all three of those are part of the judgment process. So why all of this background? In Ezekiel chapter 9, there is a prophecy of judgment. And it's a prophecy that has a bearing on God's church. Which is why we reference 1 Peter 4.17. It is a judgment that pertains to God's church Primarily. Okay. If you look at the, the backdrop for Ezekiel chapter 9, God has been taking the prophet to look at the apostasy of Judah in the previous chapters. And now, God is about to do something about it. And he's showing the prophet in vision. So let's start at verse 1, Ezekiel 9, verse 1. He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, 
cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. Okay, so they're standing in this vision next to articles of furniture in the sanctuary, and, and they're getting instruction. Okay? And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was, to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Okay? So here, the man with the inkhorn is, is told to go in and put a mark on those who are weeping about the chaos, about the apostasy of Judah. Mark them. And to the others, verse 5, and to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eye spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. Okay. I encourage you to go and read chapter 8 of Ezekiel so that you have the context for what has been going on and why God says he's going to start at the house of God. Because obviously Peter is quoting the principle that is reflected here. Right? Ezekiel is not saying what he said because Peter said what he said later. It's reverse. Okay. A point of reference. The writer with the inkhorn has to go in and mark all of those that sigh and cry. The other folks that are coming with the slaughter weapons in their hand are coming to slay both old and young, etc. They obviously need to give some time to the the inkhorn writer. Right? If they go in and they start slaughtering, they may slaughter people that he hasn't gotten to yet and he was going to mark them. Because they're not given any instruction about whether the people are sighing or crying. Only the inkhorn writer is paying attention to that. They're just paying attention to whether people have a mark or no mark. Regardless of who they are, if you have a mark, we leave you alone. If you don't have a mark, we slay you. That's the instruction that the rest of the folks get. So it's important that the first person who was sent in has some time to get his work done so that they don't rush in there and end up slaying people that they shouldn't be. Okay. Verse 7, And he said unto them, Defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. Now, the reason is defiling the house. You weren't supposed to have dead bodies in the sanctuary. And here, they're just going to kill people wherever they find them, beginning at the sanctuary. And so the likelihood is that 
the tabernacle is going to be defiled because people that they're about to slay will just be left where they are in the midst of the of the sanctuary of the tabernacle verse 7 says and they went forth and slew in the city and it came to pass while they were slaying them and i was left that i fell upon my face and cried and said ah lord god Wilt thou destroy all the residue of Israel in the, thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? Then said he unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth not. And as for me also, mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense their way upon their head. And behold, the man clothed with linen, which had the inkhorn by his side, reported the matter, saying, I have done as thou hast commanded me. Okay. Now, there are many who have all sorts of interesting interpretations about Ezekiel chapter 9, including the following, which is probably the most predominant one. The idea is that at some point prior to the coming of Christ, at some point prior to the coming of Christ, the people in God's church who are worldly-minded, who are nominal, who are not diligent, who are not focused, who are hypocrites, whatever the category that separates them from being true followers of Christ, who are tears instead of wheat. Whatever it is, there are those people who feel that this prophecy will be applied to them. And so they will be slain, leaving only the, the pure, unadulterated church of God. Okay? That is the interpretation and understanding of many. Okay. Now this prophecy, while it has a lot of actions and it even has a sequence it does not give us timing okay so it tells us the sequence the sequence is that the person with the inkhorn is spoken to they're sent in to do a work a little while after some other people are sent in to do a work so we know what the sequence is and then when all that is finished that right, the inkhorn writer comes back and says, I finished my work. But we don't get the timing. When will that transpire? Interestingly enough, we do have another parable, prophetic parable, that does answer a question of timing. Matthew 25 Verses 31 onward, it says this. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. 
naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay, and he goes on to say the same things, and they say, When did we see you in all of these things? And he's going to say, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not unto one of the least of these, ye did it not unto me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Okay. This puts the timing of the separation of the wicked, and I shouldn't say the separation of the wicked, the separation of those in God's church who did his will versus didn't do his will. Because that's the interesting thing about Matthew 25. It's not really discussing the wicked and the righteous as in the worldly and those that are Christians or those that accept Christ. It's speaking in terms of two groups that accept Christ, one that's on the right side of him and one that's on the left side of him. Okay? And what separates those groups? Well, one of them did what Jesus asked on behalf of others, and one of them didn't and was oblivious to that, that situation. Okay. Our emphasis is not on the, what, what they did. Our emphasis is on the timing. The timing says that this is when the Son of Man shall come in his glory. This is the second coming. Okay. We also have another place where the timing is given. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, in Matthew 13, Jesus gives the parable of the wheat and the tares. That's in verses 24 through 30. We have a podcast on this. And then he explains it in verses 36 through 43. And listen to what he says. Okay? Verse 38, he says, The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, the tears are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tears are gathered together and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall be cast into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so we have two passages that indicate what the timing is of the separation between those who served God truthfully and those who were just fooling themselves but called themselves Christian. Since Ezekiel 9 does not have its own timing associated, 
It doesn't have a way for us to anchor the time. We have to rely on other passages to anchor the time. And Matthew 13 and Matthew 25 show us that the timing of the execution of this justice, this judgment, is at the end of the world, not before. At the point of the second coming, this separation takes place, and not before. We have two passages that highlight that. There are actually additional passages, but these are the two key ones. So we want to remind you, when you're studying and you come across prophecies, if the prophecy contains a time component, then you can deduce the time from there. But if the prophecy does not contain a time component, then in order to anchor the timing, you must find that prophecy or a prophecy that covers the same ground somewhere else in the scripture where the timing will also be present. There are a few passages where we don't have the timing. We have more than one instance of the of the prophecy, but we don't have timing, which means the timing isn't given to us. But in this case, we do have timing. We are told definitively when people that love God truly and people that think they love God but are not doing it properly are separated. And that separation in both of these prophetic parables is said to be the end of the world. And these are statements by Christ. Okay? So let's continue to bear that in mind. It's important that we um, use all of the facts in the Bible to come to conclusions that are legitimate. So judgment does begin at the house of God, and an assessment is made, and even a mark is placed upon people. But when the actual separation takes place, similar to what happened when Jesus pronounced a guilty verdict on Jerusalem, and yet they were not destroyed until AD 70. Similarly, Ezekiel 9 addresses the separation, in fact, the permanent separation of God's people and pretenders, but it puts that separation at the second coming and not prior to the second coming. Verse Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? Remember, when we study our, our Bibles, we study to show ourselves approved unto God. Let's pray that he will grant us wisdom and understanding. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for these gems from your word. We thank you for granting unto us sufficient information in multiple texts to help us to understand your will. Please help us to be prepared. Help us to, to keep our minds focused on Christ. Help us to recognize that the judgment is a good thing if we're surrendered to Christ, and it will be a bad thing if we aren't. So bless us and keep us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. You can reach us via email at biblequestions at asbzone.com. We look forward to hearing from you, whether you have questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns. 
We also recommend that you check out the True Wisdom Podcast, where my brother and I conduct Bible studies in a discussion format. Both of these podcasts can be found on Pandora, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you normally obtain your podcasts. We ask that you keep these podcast ministries in your prayers, please. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study and share His Holy Word. Thank you.